Hi, you're listening to Conversations with A and J. I'm Alicia. I'm a 40-year-old uh, survivor of a fibroid who recently had it removed, struggled with uh, birth control issues and period issues most of my life, and I'm passionate about connecting with each and every person in my life. And I'm Jess, the J of A and J. I'm a 38-year-old end endometriosis thyroid disease warrior former osteomate and a dedicated theater and dance educator in the Chicagoland area. And we're your hosts. Thank you for joining us again after our first episode launched last week. Yay! Woo! Party time. Episode one, The Conversation Begins, was just a small sample of who both Alicia and myself are, what we hope to do and bring to our listeners. And it was just a sample of our conversations and how we want to hopefully have conversations with you. This week, we're going to start episode two. It's actually going to be a three-part point, three part series called The Turning Point, Navigating Diagnosis, Procedures, and Life After Diagnosis. And if you, as you can guess, it's going to be talking about the medical things that both of us have experienced, making us the warriors that we are. And we just want to give you a couple disclaimers before we delve into this week's episode. We do not edit out our bad words. So listener, quote, viewer discretion is advised. Also, information shared on this podcast should not be viewed as medical advice. All the information that we shared is for general knowledge only, and anyone experiencing medical or mental health crisis should speak with their medical provider directly and immediately. Listening to this podcast does not establish a client-patient relationship, and those are just a couple things you need to know when you're listening to our conversation. So we're going to step into part one of our three-part series of The Turning Point, and um, Alicia, I want to hear a little bit about your journey to diagnosis. Thank you. Well, my journey began um, years ago, really. And then there was like a significant pause, which is an interesting concept. Um, so I started with um, just really heavy periods and cramping that led me to needing, in my opinion, time off. So it was like taking a day off of work, taking a day off of school, starting in like my teens. There was always at least one day where you're just in so much pain that you're in the fetal position with a heat pad on the couch because that was just the only way that you could imagine your day going by. Um, and that continued until I saw a doctor for my first pap smear and they actually recommended because I was also seeing them because I had some hormonal acne like teenagers do and they recommended that I get put on birth control. So then the cycle of which birth control is right for you and which birth control do you want to take? How good are you going to be at taking your birth control? So I would say for the next 10 years, I, I was that person who was like always changing their birth control on it for a little bit, then off of it. And when I was on it, my period, the pain was less, I will say. Um, consistency of my periods was a little bit more normalized. But um, I just felt off. And then I went to the doctor again, and I wanted a different solution. Uh, because although it's easy to remember to take a pill, it can be also very easy to not take a pill. Um, and so my doctor talked to me about getting the Marina IUD, um, because I believe she said it's a low estrogen. And since I suffer with migraines, um, she felt like that was going to be 
a good option for me and it would lessen my period, if not stop it completely. You keep it in for five years, get it replaced. Easy peasy lemon squeezy was what I thought. And I will admit, the first I, you, what, <laughs> what? When was, when was this? So like you, you were on and off like oral contraceptive reverse yeah. control. Uh, around what age did they suggest that marina for you? Probably 26. 26? I so think I was like 26 or 27. Okay. And so I was on, I um, agreed to it. I went on it and it was, it was easy peasy. Like I had two days of cramping after the insertion. And then after that, um, if I had anything, it was spotting at least my definition of spotting, barely anything to worry about. Life seemed like a breeze. And I was like, well, why doesn't everybody do this? And then when I was on my second string of my IUD, I talked with one of my friends who had, I had just met her, we became friends and found out that she actually had had some cancer issues um, she had ovarian cancer and something and something else I can't really remember, but she felt really strongly that the IUD was possibly what had contributed to it. So that got me thinking of like, oh my gosh, like, and she talked about issues that she had and like problems she had throughout it. And I currently had it and I was like, well, I don't relate to that. So maybe there's something different, but it still flashes a light in your head. So then after about um six months to a year I decided you know what I'm in my mid-30s now I think I want to be free of birth control I like you know eventually I want to have a child if at all possible and so I want to just when I want that child I want to like be able to try right away and so I had the IUD removed and then um the first two months was probably normal and fine like no big deal and then, um, so this was about five years ago, then the period started to like beat me up on the inside. Um, excessively heavy. They started with like five to six days and then they went to um, heavy in a way that I, I, you just didn't feel like one way of handling it was sufficient. So you had to like double up procedures. It was always on your mind when you were on your period. Like, oh my gosh, am I like going to bleed through what's going to happen? And for at least a week of my life, I was controlled by thoughts of my period. Um, so that's when I started going to different um, OBGYNs or general practitioners for my annual pap smears. Um, and I would ask them, like, what can we do? I knew at this point that fibroids ran in my family. I knew that... Um, even at the age of 35, I had the oldest uterus at the time of all of my family. So all of the women, like my mother, my aunts, um, my cousins, my sister, um, I think there's only one aunt that had her uterus past the age of 40. Um, so everyone else had had to have this, and that was on both sides um, of my family. So I felt like, well, let's figure this out so that if and when I'm ready to like try getting pregnant, then this is already taken care of. I don't have to worry about it. And every time I went to the doctor, I was just kind of brushed aside and told, well, you know, sometimes periods, periods happen. Um, I had one doctor who said, well, 
it's most likely you have either PCOS or endometriosis. And he said that the procedure to truly diagnose endometriosis is exploratory surgery. And he kind of like talked me out of it and mm -hmm. said, you know, like, why go through all that? What if it's a no? You know, and he said, and he said that uh, some insurances don't cover it unless you get that diagnosis. And I had had a history in health insurance, but I still listened to that because as far as you think, the person across the chair from you is the professional and the all-knowing, you know? And so uh, he checked my thyroid levels and my sugar levels for PCOS. They were all in the normal range. And he said, well, you know, like, you probably still have one or both. Um, he's like, but there's not much we can do. Why don't you just, you know, try to eat clean, maybe cut out dairy. And so that's when uh, I started Pinteresting <laughs> different like diets and things like that. And so every year I would go to a different gynecologist mm -hmm. and those, um, each gynecologist just kind of brushed me off and I would ask, can I get a, can I get an ultrasound at least? Can we just see if there's a fibroid? Um, one doctor told me fibroids can't happen unless you've already had children. Um, so that wasn't even uh, a thing that I should be even worried about. And he said, most likely right after you have a child, they'll grow. Um, so we don't need to worry about that. And just kind of like brushed aside, I would say, for five years. And then uh, one doctor told me, well, you know, like if your periods are so unbearable that you can't live with them, your options are we can do an ablation, which will make you infertile, or we can do a hysterectomy, or you can just get put back on birth control or continue life as it is. Like, yeah, that's crazy to me. So you've been, I mean, I've lost count at this point, just listening to you talk about this doctor and that doctor, <laughs> you put them in like a bulleted doctor one list, right? Yeah. So you mentioned something that I found interesting is that you were very aware of your family history, right? So you knew and you, you expressed this to doctors and mm -hmm. it, it's concerning to me that the string of doctors that you've seen didn't see that hereditary uh, marker in your family of mm -hmm. quote unquote old, you know, not reaching past a certain point or quote unquote old uterus in hereditary thing going on with all of the females on both sides of your family um, as not a marker for more thorough diagnostic testing, right? Like mm -hmm. if I was a doctor and I was talking to you about your symptoms, your things that you've experienced, and then I was taking down your medical history, it's weird to me that more than one doctor dismissed yeah. that the kind of history of, of that. So that's very interesting. And then the other thing you talked on, and we're going to talk about this probably in another episode is female things mean things that we eat, mm. right? Like cutting these elimination diets. We'll come back to that. But yeah, so you, you were given these basically three options, right? You can, yeah. two of those options can be you not having a child ever because ablation can leave you infertile, right. your baby making organs. And then, hey, go ahead and go on that birth control again. Mm -hmm. We talked about that in episode one. It's like the blanket thing. Oh, you have this birth control. Oh, you right. have this control. Anyways, carry on. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, you know, that kind of just led me at a spot in my life where I was just like, I'm sick of 
asking somebody to listen to me. Mm-hmm. And so I just, um, the one thing I was adamant about is every year I was still going to get my pap, even though it's not a requirement anymore for women's health. Um, but I saw a different doctor each time. And I don't know if they thought I was exaggerating about the family history or if they just weren't really listening. You know, um, a lot of them don't necessarily even give you eye contact when you're in there. Um, but it all reached its point. Um, so I had no birth control for a few months or a few years. And then periods were anywhere, depending on the month. I had a 26 day one, one time, and then six days. And then um, time just, the periods got longer and the time in between got shorter. So I was averaging like every other week I was getting a new period type of a thing. Mm-hmm. And um December, the first Monday of 2019, I'll remember it because I drove in a blizzard to this doctor to make the appointment the Friday before I called and was crying to the appointment person. And I said, I just need somebody to listen to me and help me. I can't anymore. Um, I had just ended, I think it was a 20 day period around that time. And I was just like emotional, hormonal, and like, enough's enough like something's got to change you know I've put up with this too long and um you know she told me and she's like you know what I'm gonna send you is it okay if you drive this far she's really great she specializes in women's health endometriosis is her like forte apparently you know like she'll listen to you and she'll get you the help she needs so I went that next Monday um and she told, I told her everything. I don't think she wanted to hear everything, but I told her, you know, my cousin actually had had, just had genetic testing done and saw that she actually has the genetic codes for the uterine fibroids. And she said, it's most likely you have it too. And so I told her, I didn't get the testing done myself, but here's, here's what's going on. Everyone I know has had a uterus, has had to have their uterus removed and I want to like have a child but I'm not ready to do that this month so like what are my options and you know like I felt very brushed off and she just she again told me she's like well you're not gonna like two of the options so they're not an option for you a hysterectomy and ablation isn't an option if you want to have children And she said, I think we should put you on the Marina IUD again. And then as soon as you're ready to have a child, we'll take it out. And then who knows, maybe you'll get pregnant the next day. And I was like, is that really my only option? And I remember she had, she was training a new, like, I don't know if she was a medical student. I can't remember that part of it. But this other lady was there and I like looked at her and she didn't say anything. And I was like, can't we do a test? Can't we just like do some kind of an x-ray, an ultrasound, something, and see, like, does she have, um, does she have fibroids? I said, could it be endometriosis? And she said, well, most people that have endometriosis have very light um, periods, and they're not as frequent. And so that's, she's like, so that's not you. So it's most likely not endometriosis. And she goes, I think some people just have bad periods. And when she said that to me for like a new doctor, again, saying that just made me feel like 
do all of these people think that I'm just a drama queen? Like, like really? And so she said, your only option if you want to be able to live life is your IUD. And she like very point blank told me like, you can either continue to live how you're living and be miserable for those weeks or be miserable for a week after insertion. And then like, you're going to be fine. And I was like, that's really my only option. And I like begrudgingly agreed to it, you know, and I, I felt it was the worst experience I've had. Um, like I said, I had had it done before, so I knew what it felt like and it, there was something different this time. And then when I got home, um, the pain was worse than it had ever been before. The cramping was worse. The bleeding started two days later and I was like bleeding heavily. And so then fast forward 26 days later, I took my mother to a doctor and her doctor recognized that I was super pale. And he, at the end of her appointment, he said, are you okay? Mm. And he said, you're really pale and I'm worried about your hemoglobin. And so I kind of told him what had happened and how long I had been bleeding. And he goes, I would just feel better if we checked your hemoglobin. He's like, we need, we need to make sure that you're okay and you're safe to be driving. And so they got me in within 15 minutes to see a doctor. I saw his partner and they uh, took my hemoglobin and they found that it was, I think, 9.1 the first time they checked it. And he said they would accept 10, but ideally they like uh, women to be in 12, around 12. And so he said, so it's not so low that I want to send you to the hospital for like an infusion or anything like that. And he said, but we have to stop the bleeding. That's the priority. And he was really nice. And, and I said, well, what's causing it? You know, they knew about the IUD and I go, could it be that? And he said, you know, I don't know. He said, you should call that office and ask them. And I go, I don't want to call them. You know, like I felt like the bedside banner was so awful that I just, I didn't, I didn't even want to pay my medical bill from what my visit, you know, like let alone call them for more help. Right. And he then recommended, he put me on iron. He put me on a cycle of progesterone and his hope was that that would kind of like jumpstart my cycle so that it would stop the bleeding so that I would like ovulate stop bleeding so that I can just get some reprieve until we can figure something out. Um, and I touched on this in the first episode. The thing that I um, respected was that when I asked him something and he didn't know, he just said, I don't know. And he, he said that, you know, like, I don't do this that much anymore. You know, like he doesn't specialize in women's health. And he said, um, we'll find you a doctor that will help you. We'll find a clinic. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that that to me is something that has stuck with me. I worked, as you know, I worked for a sports medicine doctor. Um, I managed, I cl managed his clinic, which was a private sports medicine practice. And the one thing he told me, and it has stuck with me now for the last seven years or so, is that the best thing a doctor can ever tell you when you're working with them is, I don't know, but I'm going to help you find out or put you with someone I feel 
will help you find that out, right? Because there's too many doctors right now that try to understand or know, and I put no in quotation marks, um, how to help you, right? Yeah. Not their specialty. It's it's just because you took a course in it when you were in medical school seven years ago or right. twenty, years ago, or you went to your week on long course on it does not make you an expert on it, and that does not mean that you know. I think that's you know that doctor telling you those words, and it just to me affirms what Doctor Adams told me so many years ago is that a doctor can say to you. I mean, it's hard to hear that because you're like, I want you to know. <laughs> right. Well, he was the first doctor that listened. So, I mean, I would have loved for him to have had all the answers, but you can't know everything. So send me to someone where their zone of genius is female reproduction and let her or him help me, you know? And so um, that was the first part of my turning point was that a doctor like acknowledged that you shouldn't be bleeding like this and let's figure something out. And although they never said it, I felt like they could not believe and they were upset by how I was treated because I kept getting asked, now, which clinic was it again? And it was a completely different clinic system than where my mom went. Um, And so I actually changed doctors that day. Like, so he is now like my general doctor that I will go see whenever I have a need. Um, So I went home. I picked up my prescription of iron and progesterone and um, he said, call me in a week. If it's not, if you're still bleeding, come see me. Cause we need to really check your, stay on top of your hemoglobin. So I did a week later, I was still bleeding. It was less. So I thought I was like living the dream, you know, like I no longer had to run to the bathroom every hour. Now it was only four hours. So I could like plan my life a little bit more. And so I went in and and my hemoglobin was 8.7, I think, 8.8, something like that. And he said, well, I was hoping not to see you. And he goes, so you're still bleeding. And I said, yes, but it's so much better. I think the progesterone is starting to help. And I think like any little like step forward, I was just feeling like, okay, we're figuring this out, you know? And he like looked at me and he's like, I need you to understand that that's still not normal. And he said, yes, it's making your life a little easier, but that's not normal. Because what you have to understand is whenever I was on my period, I wasn't sleeping because my body automatically would wake me up every time I would have to run to the bathroom. And no matter how I try to like set my life up so that I had enough coverage for bedtime, it wasn't. And, you know, so it wasn't just that my iron was lower. It's also sleep deficit. I had this sleep deficit that was like not helping things either. You but know? Your, your glands, your adrenal glands, everything was in this constant fight or flight, meaning the fight, right? right. And so you're constantly on alert, which just depletes you completely mm-hmm. of energy. But yet you were still functioning as an adult. You were not staying home for weeks on end from work. No. Well, you I were- had bills to pay. Yeah, I had a job that you don't get paid if you don't go in, you know, so like, I was going in and suffering through, you know, my days as much as I could. Um, So actually, a few days after that second appointment, uh, or maybe the the next day, 
Um, I was talking to a coworker. And at this point, I kind of started to just share my story with anybody that would listen in hopes that somebody would help me. You know, I make jokes that there are people in my life that know too much about my period. My poor personal trainer is one of them. Um, and secondly, like, um, almost everybody I work with knows about it because there were times that I felt like I couldn't do my job. Like part of my job is inventory. And so I had to delegate that out a lot because I cannot carry boxes around and like get up on a ladder. I am going to fall. And like, then where are we going to be? You know? So, um, I was talking to my coworker, Holly, and she stopped me during my story and she said, you have to see my doctor. And she had a very similar situation. She had seen some bad doctors as well, but she saw this one, Dr. Mahan. Dr. Mahan saw her and like helped her and she's, she's never looked back. She refers everyone she knows that needs to see a gynecologist to Dr. Mahan, whose office is just like two miles away from our work. Mm-hmm. And so um, I told her, I said, look, like, I'll call, but I need, I need somebody who's going to listen, who's going to like, please don't say you want to cut my uterus out without doing a single test. Right. Like I, that's one thing that kept aggravating me. Like you want to, you want to remove an organ? You don't even know. Like you literally have not even done a test. And so, uh, I, I called them and I asked for the next available appointment with Dr. Mahan. I said, I'll make my schedule available, whatever. I couldn't get in until April 1st. And she said, what is this related to? And I said, I have heavy periods. Um, and she said, well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do an ultrasound before your appointment. And then right after your, your ultrasound, you'll see Dr. Mahan and you can go over the results. No, you have to remember, this is like what I begged doctors to do. Just run a test. I don't even care what test it is. Let's just run it, you know? And so I do remember like crying on the phone to this appointment setter and just being like, you mean I don't have to beg? I don't have to beg you to do this? And she's like, why, why would you beg? She's like, that's just procedure. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm sending everybody here that I know. Like, even if you don't have problems, if you have a uterus, you need to go to my clinic, <laughs> you know? And so then, like, that was another part of my turning point because I finally was going to get the test and I didn't even ask for it. Like, the weight off my shoulders was huge. And then on the day of my appointment, um, I had a large fibroid on my lower right part of my lining. And um, there goes, well, that kind of explains all the bleeding and the pain you're having. And I cried again because it was a true validation for what I had suffered with. Um, And after years of being brushed aside, I just needed that validation. Um, And so then we talked about options and we... um, the main option that she wanted me to do was to have it removed surgically. And so we talked about what that was going to be like. And so I agreed that we would do um, the removal. 
Um, and so because of COVID, we had to delay it. Normally she likes to do them as quickly as possible, but um, eventually we did get cleared for surgery. And so I was able to get it done June 26th of this year. Um, and so that was the turning point. I found a doctor who sat and listened to everything. She actually walked into the room, like, you know, your paperwork that you get. I, I was very truthful and wrote paragraphs on this little piece of paper. And I told them exactly how often my periods are. And I've been tracking my periods for five years so that I could go to a doctor and be like, no, look, yeah. I'll pull it up on my phone right now. And we can look at it each month. You know, like I was very careful about making sure I tracked it once doctors stopped listening to me. And um, the first thing she said is, you've bled 20 days in a row. Oh my God. I can't like, and she goes, you bought 50 tampons and used them all in four days. And I go, yeah. And she was like, that's not okay. She's like, we're going to figure this out. And then like, we went over everything else. And her just validating that, like, changed my life. I went to my car, and I cried, and I called my mom. Mm -hmm. And I said I wasn't wrong. Yep. I was right this whole time. And nobody would listen to me. Nope. You know? And, like, I'm so grateful that we have it figured out now. Mm -hmm. But for each time they told me that, how many other people did they brush off like that? And so that's another reason why... Jess and I want to share this with everybody so that maybe we can like our story will give you strength to say no that's not okay like I'm gonna keep searching for that doctor that will listen to me you know um and so that's why we're here and that's and that's my turning point that's I mean it's such an incredible turning point and it is it these turning points are full of emotion so when you hear the emotion in our voice it is because it has been a deep, deep, deep part of our medical, our physical, our mental, right? Our spiritual journey that we are on. Like it has just deeply, deeply affected us. And um, thank you so much for sharing it and being that vulnerable with us and, and, and for our listeners. Because I think that's the other thing too is women are very strong and we will, I, I said that, and you just kept going to work, right? Like we will, we will bury or put things on top of the things that we are experiencing. And sometimes people don't, you know, quote unquote, see it. And one of the things that I will, will tell you when I start sharing a little bit about my turning point is a lot of the things that affect women we're not allowed to talk about right so we're not allowed to talk about our periods and we're not allowed to talk about how bad it's hurting and this is happening and you should see what just came out of me and all that kind of stuff so you are an overshare about your period we talked about this episode one i am an overshare about my poops <laughs> and um poor poor co-workers that i know right Nothing I mean, about there were times I was working out with my personal trainer and he would be like, can you straighten your back a little bit? And I was like, I am ovulating. No, I can't. <laughs> like, I need to be hunched over in my protective mode right now because it hurts. <laughs> I'd be on the treadmill at Orange Theory and I'd look over at my friend Kayla and she's like, well, I'm like, I'll be right back. And I was like, <laughs> Everybody would know. I was like, oh, she's pooping again. Or I'd be like, uh, before we got on the rower, I was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna make it through this row. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then you're like, dang it. But 
So thank you. Thank you for being honest and open and sharing all that with our listeners. Our stories really do run parallel to each other. Um, and it's so interesting because like you said, this has been going on. We could, we might think back only for 10 years, but if we really delved back into our memories, um, and recounted, I'm sure it, it, it goes back even further. And it was one of those things that as young children, as we, or even young teenagers probably had all of these things, but we just didn't know about it. Right. Like mm -hmm. it's your period girl. That's what happens is what right. we tell like, welcome to womanhood. Yay. Let's celebrate. Congratulations. Okay. Here's a big Mac. Right. Note to self that did happen to me. If anybody wants to have that funny story, but, um, so my story is a little, it is a lot like yours and I'm going to touch on a couple things and I'm going to talk to you about them as I'm telling my story, but you should know, I, I mentioned in, in, in our introduction, I not only have now confirmed endometriosis, but I also have hypothyroidism, right? I don't have Hashimoto's or Graves. I just have hypothyroidism, which just means I have a lazy thyroid. Uh, when I was born, they do, you know, your whole workup, and not only was I jaundiced, so super yellow and had to be under the warm UV lights. And that was before the days of wrapping a baby in a UV blanket. I just kind of sat under a, a, a red light like you would put in your like snake's cage. And they were like, have some vitamin D, Jess. Um, and the upper right part of my thyroid was missing. So for the first five years of my life, I was on Synthroid uh, when I was a child. And that is a synthetic thyroid hormone. It's made of only T4. We can talk about this in another episode. But, um, and then right, right around when I was five, they said, your, your daughter's levels are normal. We don't, she doesn't need to be on this thyroid in, in, you know, medicine anymore. It was the 80s, right? It was still kind of new in the medical world of treating the thyroid this way of this with this synthetic hormone um that's probably a lie so asterisk there i'm sure it goes back into the 70s but it was still not something that is as well studied as it is today because the thyroid is still incredibly under understudied um especially in how it affects women so they took me off that. And at five is when my body changed. I was a normal, petite, small child. And then as soon as I was off of this medication, my body composition changed. And I would say around nine or 10 is when I had my first experience with a doctor saying that I was overweight, um, talking about food. That's when my food and body dysmorphia started and my disordered, I think, relationship with food probably started around then. Um, I was dancing six days a week at that point. I was an incredibly active child. I was a high school cheerleader. I was an all-star cheerleader. So I wasn't someone who would normally be categorized as someone as quote unquote lazy, right? Like I, my body was moving every day and I wasn't overeating. It was just my body was suffering, right? Like it didn't know how to stay on top of things. And, um, it was kind of, you know, interesting because I always had this moment of like, why am I in this larger body, right? Like, why am I carrying around this extra weight? And I started getting really tired and I didn't get my period until I was 16 and a half. We actually had set up a, an appointment with the doctor to talk about why I hadn't gotten my period yet. And I wasn't like an elite gymnast. So it wasn't like I was overtraining, which was calling the, causing the delay in, um, puberty, right? 
um, or maturity. And um, the day that I was supposed to go to the doctor to get looked at, I ended up getting my period. Surprise, yay. Um, my period's drastically different than your experience. I had them for three days. That was it. I bled for three days. It was incredibly heavy bleeding, but it was only three days. And like all my friends were like, I have it for like a week, like, or five days or six days. And I was like, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want them to be mad at me because of that. Um, You know, it was, uh, because it was, it was three very heavy days. And to get a little personal, like I didn't like using tampons. So I used even if I was to use a tampon, I would still have to put a pad on. So I was like, if I'm just going to use the pad, I might as well just have the pad in. Why am I going to be uncomfortable as well? Right. Um, and so, you know, going, I finished high school, I graduated high school when I was 17. And so I went into college, I turned 18 right before I went to my freshman year of college. And I started again, I still had, I carried a lot of extra weights, didn't matter how active I was, how many days a week I worked out, how many, I was a dance major. So I was dancing during the day. I was on dance team. I was dancing for two and a half, three hours, every single night at dance team practice, dancing on the weekends. Like I taught dance, you know, all of these, I was constantly in movement. My body was constantly in in motion. Right. And I started realizing that I was getting like really bad pains after I ate. And I constantly, constantly struggled with like either extreme constipation or diarrhea. It was like a constant, like on a, on a, uh, like on a gauge, it would go one way and then go the other way. Like no in between, no in between. It was like either nuggets or liquid. And I was like, how, how does this happen? Right. And I, and that was, you know, for a while to me was like, did I eat something wrong? I was also in college, so I was drinking, right? I was consuming alcoholic beverages, typically nasty beer from a frat basement, right? Like, <laughs> so maybe that was causing my, the, the sway into diarrhea land, right? The green apple McNasties. Is what Isn't I- it interesting how we'll excuse away things, you know? Yeah, right? And you're like, oh, it can't be this, it can't be that. And then I got older, right? And I was, again, still dancing because that was my major. And I was, you know, I moved to Wisconsin when I was 25. And I still having three-day periods, but like really starting to like just constantly battle this constipation, inability to lose any sort of weight. I was tired all the time, like just exhausted, but then I was not sleeping at night. Like I, I would feel like I could lay my head down on my desk at three o'clock in the afternoon at work. And then I'd go and I'd teach dance until nine 30 and I would get home at 10 or 11 and then be awake until one or two o'clock in the morning. Like my brain wouldn't shut off. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to balance this. I had brain fog. Like I am a, you know me, I'm type a take notes in my calendar, in my thing. I'm on time. I'm early for things. I'd rather do things myself than in, you know, inconvenience someone else. And I was forget, I started forgetting things. My hair started thinning. Like I have always had super, super thick hair. My eyebrows started thinning. Um, And then I I started to have really bad leg cramps. And I did like what anybody else did. Like I went to doctors and I asked them about it. And I always mentioned like I was born with a missing part of my thyroid. I, you know, I've always had 
um, you know, I was on medication for it for five years. They took it off me. And then this is, no one has ever tested it again for me. And so this started, I would say when I was 27 or 28, when I was like, okay, I'm going to actively figure out what's going on in my body. Like I, it's not normal anymore and I can't keep doing this. And so I would bring this up in conversation with doctors that I was seeing and they would say, well, we'll test your thyroid. Right. And so they, they would. And they would only run the TSH, which is your thyroid stimulant hormone test, which is typically what a normal GP, your general practitioner, or your P PCP, primary care provider, will run for you. And um, there is an archaic scale, which will tell you if you are in a quote-unquote normal range, right? And so they will say if you are 0.5 to 5, almost 6 on your TSH, your thyroid stimulant hormone, um, you're, you're in, in the normal range, you're fine. Right. Well, an endocrinologist or a naturopathic doctor who has studied the thyroid will let you know that anything over one, so 1.0, is pushing you into hypothyroid, meaning your, your thyroid is not functioning op optimally. It will also tell you, or someone will tell you, that that TSH number is not the only thing that you should worry about. You need to worry about your T3 and your T4, which are the two hormones that your, thi that your thyroid sets out and um, reverse T3, reverse T4. So how it converts, right? Like comes in as this, leaves as this kind of thing. Like that's what your process is in your body. And also antibodies because you, your body can create antibodies that can attack the thyroid hormones. And so they will never actually function. And for those of you listeners who don't know, your thyroid literally runs your body. That is literally like it, it runs your glands, it runs hormones, it, it's connected directly to your brain. There's just so many different layers, total different episode on that. So anyways, I was talking to these doctors and they would always tell me, no, you're normal. And I was like, but how I'm feeling isn't normal. Kind of like you, right? And you just, and you're sitting across from this person who has education and you trust them and you're asking them for help and they're telling you, no, pump the brakes, you're fine. You start yeah. feeling crazy. Yes, right? Yeah. And so and you second guess yourself. Oh, it's so bad, right? You're like, okay, maybe I'm crazy, you know? And so for me, one of the things um, was, again, like, so I was telling them this and I'm having this constipation and diarrhea and I wasn't putting the two and two together. So I did what any female does. I went to the web and I started looking. I found Stop the Thyroid Madness. I read both of the books. Um, I was like, oh my God, if you have a sluggish thyroid, it can, it can affect your digestive tract, which can create this, you know, fluctuation between constipation and because then your body, your body's not working right. Like it doesn't know how to break down food. It doesn't know how to use it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's my overweight, my, my larger body experience. And then, um, I would say as I approached my thirties, I started really having a hard time with it. It wasn't fluctuating anymore and it was leaning more towards, constant constipation. And I always thought, is it the food that I'm eating? And then these fads were coming out, like maybe you should eliminate gluten. And this was all just from word of mouth with friends. I hadn't had any actual medical um, professional suggest this for me yet. So I did, I cut, cut out the gluten, I cut out the dairy. Uh, I tried Whole30, you know, I was like, I'm going to do all of these things and and work out and work out and work out and work out and I went I, I joined Orange Theory Fitness which is my favorite workout of all time not the best one for my body but I love it and I was addicted to it I was going six days a week right I was getting up at 4 30 in the morning I worked out from uh my 
six o'clock class to seven. I went to work from 7.30 to five o'clock. I taught dance from six to nine. And then I got home at 10 o'clock and I did it all over again, right? I was on this mm -hmm. constant hamster wheel of what I thought was healthy living, getting my life together, but I could never poop. So there was this moment in, in November, I think I was about 31 at this point, And I was at a convention that I always took my dancers to. And I was so constipated that I literally couldn't dance. Like my stomach hurt so bad that I like couldn't do a crunch. I couldn't lay on that side. And at that time I was working for Dr. Adams. I mentioned him when we were talking about your journey and, you know, I got back that Monday, and I, was, I was telling him about how I felt and I felt so bad. And I felt like I wasted money. Like I couldn't dance like I normally do with my kids. And um, he said, let's take an x-ray. Right. And he's like, you've talked to your doctors about it. I was like, yeah, they told me to drink Miralax right every day or try tea or try a, a stool softener. Like it's everybody gets constipated and it's not your thyroid and blah, blah, blah. So he took this x-ray of my stomach and um, we talked about it in our first episode, him hemming and hawing, and it was an obstruction. And he sent me to digestive health, and I had a couple procedures. And through this time, it's about three years, everyone kept, again, telling me I'm normal, right? But then the symptoms started to increase. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was not only getting constipated, but I was waking up with these like horrible sharp pains in what I thought was like the upper right side of my body. Now I know to reference it as my upper right quadrant or URQ, right? And it would radiate down into my groin. And it was always like right around where I thought maybe my right ovary would be. And then I started to realize because I was tracking symptoms on my period tracker. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is becoming cyclical, right? And I was like, this is kind of always happening when I'm going to have my period and my, you know, my quick little three day period. And it was, it got bad and then it would go away for a little while. So it would be like intense. And then like, maybe I'd have, like you said, like a normal month and you're like, oh, okay. And for me, that was the teeter totter where I was like, am I crazy? No, you're fine. I'm crazy. No, I'm fine. Right. And I was like, maybe it's just not that bad. And I do have to just deal with it because women have been dealing with this since the beginning of time. Right. And so I had that colonoscopy. They ended up finding polyps. We talked about that. I'll go into more of that with our um, part two of this episode with procedures that I've had, but, uh, or this part three part series. I, two, just January 1st, 2019 was the turning point or the beginning of the turning point. I put my toe on the turning point for me. Um, I woke up on New Year's day and I had the worst attack or flare uh, that I had had to date. And I was curled up on the floor of my sister-in-law's bathroom for two and a half hours. They kept saying, we need to take you to the ER. I was like, no, I'm fine. And it was weird. Cause it was like, it felt like a gas pain, but it wasn't, but I like couldn't extend my body up and it was shooting down into my right leg and my hip. And it was just, it was insanity. And then it went away. And all I was, was tired after that. Yeah. You know, Can I um, just ask when they said, let's go to the ER, you need to get this looked at. Why were you resistant to like going? Did you think you're being silly? Did you think you're just going to be sent home with a Miralax? Yeah. I didn't want them to tell me it was, I needed, I needed to pass gas or yeah. I need Miralax because we had indulged, you know, then on new year's Eve, we had made like, sure. you know, or not blue cheese, goat cheese stuff dates with like a caramel grape. Right. I made stuffed shells and my big meatballs. And so we had, we'd eaten a lot of food, right? right. Like maybe I have an indigestion. Sure. And, um, 
so that was in January. And then I continued to kind of not feel real well. And I noticed that I was waking up a lot around like one or two in the morning with really bad upper right quadrant pain shooting down into my groin. And then it was like hitting the back, my back like near my, my sciatic nerve and into my right hip, but it was always only on my right side. And it would be really bad and it would hurt. It would hurt for a couple hours. And then I'd finally fall back asleep, but then it would be time to get up and, and, and do the day, you know? Right. And, um, so I had to, you know, I kind of navigated that for a while and that was weird. And when I talked, you know, to people about it, they're like, you just, you know, maybe you, maybe you do have a food sensitivity. I had found a naturopathic doctor, um, that Dr. Adams had put me in touch with her name is Dr. Stanger. And she did help me figure out my thyroid, um, that I do want to do an episode about thyroid because you and I have both had that as, Mm -hmm. as a topic. So we'll come back to that on a different day. Um, but she did, you know, lots and lots of tests and I am on natural dissected thyroid now both T3 and T4 medication. And I actually have to get my blood tested every six weeks because your levels can change so much. So I could need to be on three grains of medication for a while. And then it might need to, after um, my six week checkup need to be changed and we adjust it. And it's kind of always an, uh, an experiment because guess what? The practice of medicine is just that it's a practice and my body is ever changing. So she just keeps her, her finger on the pulse of that. Um, and so in March of 2019, I had a dance competition and I got home late one night and I was lazy and I didn't want to eat good. And I got myself some Culver's, which is nice, greasy Midwest cheeseburger and French fries. And I sat down on my floor, as you know, my old <laughs> that's where I would eat. And I ate my burger and I ate my fries and then I farted and it wasn't a fart friends. Yep. Listeners, mm-hmm. it was a shart. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh no, I could eat. And I shared this with everybody. I'm not, I, there's no shame in my game anymore. Right. And so I ran to the bathroom and it wouldn't stop. And I was like, cause I had been constipated. Remember? Like I was like, what mm-hmm. is going on? And so from March of 2019 until about May, almost June, that's what I dealt with. I would go from this moment of being completely constipated to like instant diarrhea And then I was having these attacks every time I ate. So I would eat something and about 45 minutes after I ate, after it had started working its way through, I would get this sudden urge to go right away. I'd go to the bathroom and I wouldn't completely empty. And so I was, and, but it would kept feeling like I did. And it would like my whole like insides felt like they were cramping and contracting. And it would put me into this flare for an hour to anywhere from an hour to two hours and this was in the middle of the workday, friends, right? And then I would just feel tired afterwards. And mm-hmm. so I got into this habit of not wanting to eat and like not wanting to experience eating the food, right? Like, because I was like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. And I'd have to like go in the back by the, by the server and like kind of hunch over and just wait till it pass. And so one day at this point in 2019, I was working for two dentists and, um, one of the doctors that I worked for said, I think you just need to go to urgent care. He's like, I can't watch you suffer like this anymore. And so I ended up going to urgent care and they did run a bunch of tests and I did have an x-ray and an ultrasound of my, what they thought was the issue, which was my gallbladder. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. And so I was basically on 
path at this point, again, chasing a GI diagnosis. I had no idea it had anything to do with my reproductive organs. Mm -hmm. And so they, we were trying all these, then it was, you need to get an endoscopy. You could have celiac disease or hernia or an ulcer. So I had an endoscopy that came back normal or what they like to call unremarkable. I hate that phrase on your like imaging, right? This pres presents unremarkably. And you're like, okay, is that good? Like, mm. um, and then I had the GI doctor who did my endoscope in 2019 said, I think you have, I think, right? Asterisk here, you have sphincter of Odi dysfunction and we're going to do this procedure to take care of it. There was no way of confirming it besides going in there and, and, and seeing, which basically, and the procedure he wanted to do was that ERCP, and that's basically an endoscope, but with x-ray at the same time. And then he was gonna cut my sphincter of Odi because he thought that's what was spasming. So I, I scheduled that appointment. But again, this was, this was, I had met with him and had my endoscope in April. That came back fine. And he's like, let's schedule it for June. And so I scheduled it. And I ended up getting a new job. And so for me, I wasn't ready to have that kind of a procedure because I started to look up ERCPs and with sphincterectomy and see that the this procedure can lead to other things like pancreatitis, all this kind of stuff. So there was just something in my body that said, this is not what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And so I canceled that procedure and I started to feel better. I was taking some supplements that my naturopathic doctor had offered to me, which was if you, if you have a gallbladder issue, try this lecithin. You eat a low fat diet. You might not have enough fat. We talked about this in episode one to lubricate your digestive tract. You might need to have more fat in your diet. So try this pill. And I started taking it. It was helping me and things were moving a little bit easier. And I wasn't having as much, um, fluctuation between the two extremes anymore. I was kind of regular and I could tell if I didn't, if I didn't eat or didn't drink enough, how that would affect how things were moving through my body. Um, but I, I kept waking up still in the middle of the night with this like ache sometimes in my groin area. And again, it started to become cyclical. And I was like, I would be fine for a whole week and not have any pain. And then three weeks out of the month, I was waking up every night and it just wasn't making sense. And so in September of 2019, it went back to urgent care after I was working at the, the new school. So my new job, I'm living in Illinois and I literally couldn't take it anymore. And so I said to my boss, I'm just going to leave tonight. And I told Lisa, meet me at home. I need you to take me to urgent care. So I went mm -hmm. and the doctor ran my tests and he wanted to again, see if it was my gallbladder. He's like, let's see if your gallbladder and your liver and your liver enzymes are elevated. And everything came back again, unremarkable. And he said, I'm going to send you to general surgery. And this is when I met a woman who now is the woman, the woman that I look at as saving my life, right? Mm -hmm. Completely funny story, but I met this woman. Her name is Dr. Kavalis. She was brash. She was quick. She was like in my room and she's like, you're here for this. Why are you here? I'm not taking, what makes you think your gallbladder's not working? And I was like, well, and I tried to like tell her this whole story. And she's like, if everything says your gallbladder is fine, why, why would I take your gallbladder out? I'm not going to take your gallbladder out. Let's go take an x-ray. So she sent me to, and I was, I started crying in her office. I'm like, you're not listening to me. Like mm -hmm. my gallbladder, but I like, no one is listening to me anymore. So that was a breaking point for me. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't listen to another doctor just push me off. And so then she stopped and she said, go get the x-ray. Don't forget to come back in my room. So I, 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 I took the x-ray and she's like, you've got gas and stool in there. You just need to help move it along a little bit. Right. Like what have you, do you have good fiber in your diet? Like, I was like, I don't, I don't, what, what's fiber, right? Like what's, what, what, 
<laughs> to my body. No, I eliminated so much. I don't know anymore. So we talked about that and then she had suggested, you know, try the low FODMAP diet. It doesn't work for everybody, but she's like, what you need to do is you need to just pay attention to the foods that trigger your body to change in its composition, right? Or your, your digestive tract to change, right? Not your body changing composition, but how your, your output is. I learned all about output when I got my colostomy dead. Uh, and she said, are you going to come back and see me? And I said, sure. And in my head, I went, nope, this, this dismissed me, used me and abused me and nope. Mm -hmm. And so I then got referred to a GI specialist, um, to have my colonoscopy because I needed to have that follow-up and I did it and they found some more polyps, which I was like, is that my magical power? Do I just grow things where they don't belong? Like, <laughs> like way to go body. I'm so happy. <laughs> And he said, you know, it, it's, this would not cause you to have that. And he again said, maybe you have IBS. And we, we talked about this in our personal talk the other day and I'm getting long-winded. So I have to, I have to quicken my, my pace here. IBS stands for irritable bowel syndrome. It is not a diagnosis. Syndrome is a catch-all for an unexplained um, cause of something that doesn't have a medical um, accurate diagnosis, right? And so I was like, I have, I've eliminated all of these things. I did the low FODMAP like crazy Dr. K, who I didn't want to see ever again, told me to. Cause I was like, look, I'm, I may have not liked her, but I was like, this is a medical professional. I need to listen to her and try it. Right. Like, and, and, and take out these foods that could make my, my bowels inflamed. And it's still, I'm still in so much pain. And finally I talked to my new primary care doctor that I finally got to see. Now, again, I, I remember I moved in July couldn't get an appointment with her until until December. So in December, I saw her and she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you to OBGYN because I think you have endometriosis. Because she listened to me and listened to my family history. And she said, so you have a lot of this. You're finding it cyclical. Has anybody thought that this could be for you, right? And we talked about this on, on, on episode one, what endometriosis is. And so I went and I met with this doctor. And I'm going to leave his name out of it because obviously there were some things that occurred with me after a procedure that I had. And, um, but anyways, I saw this doctor and I really felt heard by him because he mm -hmm. said, you've had all of these GI workups and no one has an answer for you. And they're just telling you change your diet and that's not acceptable. And he explained to me how endometriosis, you know, shows up and there's four different stages of it. It's staged like cancer, depending on how aggressive it is on organs and how old the adhesions are. It also presents itself in four different ways, right? Like, so, so it, it cannot be seen unless it's seen by the, the trained eye and it will not be seen often on general imaging that you have. And I had had plenty of imaging, right? And like you said, the only way to diagnose endometriosis is to have a diagnostic laparoscopic procedure, which is where they go in and they explore. It's an exploratory surgery. It sometimes is not covered by insurance, but obviously I've had $10,000 worth of GI workups at this point, like we have to eliminate it. So uh, we scheduled the, the appointment for January 23rd of 2020. I went in, I went under, I woke up and it was confirmed that I had stage four endometriosis. And like you, when he told me that he, he said, you weren't making this up, Jess, mm. your pain is valid. you you experienced this pain. It is everywhere. And there was some other things that happened during that procedure that led me to be an osteomate. And that 
is, I'm going to talk about that more in depth with the procedures that I had, but it is incredible to me how long women will go to doctor after doctor and not be given a diagnosis, mm. but a man can go into the, a doctor with an ailment and they will be tested immediately. They will be looked at and say, we have to figure this out. It won't just be brushed off as you're a woman. These things happen to women. Because when I asked, just so you know, when I asked why my gallbladder would just all of a sudden stop working, they said, well, you're a woman in your mid thirties. Sometimes that just happens. I was like, well, is there an expiration date on my organs? Like, Siri, like my, my non-essential organs just go, no, I don't want to work no more. When I asked, um, you know, about, uh, endometriosis and how we can treat it. Originally the OBGYN said, well, we can schedule this, this exploratory surgery, or I can put you on birth control for three months and see if that helps you. And I am against that. I don't agree with putting hormones in our body and manipulating our body with unnatural hormones. I think that it is the more things that we put in our body, the more things our bodies have to process. And people can say that it saved their life or it saved them from having horrible acne. And those are, that's your journey and that's your experience. But for myself, I don't like to, right? Like I don't like to put things in my body. I'm very, very conscious of it, how, how I use ibuprofen and Tylenol. Mm -hmm. And I don't like to put things that aren't natural. And I will read the every single ingredient before I put a supplement in my pill case to take it as a supplement. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't like pain medicine. And I just had two very big surgeries in 2020 and my doctors couldn't believe how I didn't want to take the narcotics that they were prescribing for me. Yeah. I took so I, you know, I've had two midline incision, full open surgeries in my abdomen in 2020, and I took one hydrocodone just yeah. one. And it was before I went into, or it was the day after my laparoscopic procedure. Yeah. I never took them again. And, you know, um, to make you know how strong and tough I am, because I'm big and mean, I had all four of my wisdom teeth removed while I was awake and I only took 800 milligrams of ibuprofen <laughs> for it. So yeah, but like, you don't have to prove yourself here. <laughs> that's the other thing too. Like how often do we experience high intensity right. Of pain or traumatic experiences within our body, and we just function. Right. Right. And so, what I have been also working on, and I think this is a great topic that we'll talk about probably further in detail, is trauma lives in the body. Mm -hmm. And my body and your body, for a very long time, experienced trauma. And it stays there until we can release that trauma. Mm -hmm. And so, for us, we we were not heard, we were not listened to from medical professionals. And all that did was add more trauma to our body's experience, to our, 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 our home's experience, right? And so we still have to work through all that um, mm -hmm. as we heal. Um, you know, finding out what you have is that turning point, right? You're like, oh, that's why I have it. Okay, that's why I was bleeding for 30 days. Right. I had a very large tumor, which I have told 30 different doctors was hereditary and, and family history, and they weren't listening. And for me, it was, I had endometriosis all over my colon, all over my rectum, all over my, my bowels. They had fused themselves together um, with other organs because of the endometriosis. And that's why I was getting that mm -hmm. pulling feeling 
and things. So it is, it's, it's that turning point for you is, is it's, it's the word you use is great. It's validation. Mm-hmm. Like all my pain, all my suffering, my heartache, my frustration. It, it's literally like, see, I told you so. Right. Like I was right. Like I knew something was wrong in my body. Right. And there's, you touched on when you were in a, we'll, we'll talk about this because we're getting close to being a long podcast, right? <laughs> um, but one of the things you stuck with me and I wrote it down when you were chatting and you said um, that you, when you got that Mirena put in again, right? After you had already said you didn't want to, you knew it felt different, mm-hmm. right? in your body so you do, tell our listeners what were some of the cues for you like I mean I, sometimes it's hard to put it into words but yeah different you know the first two times I had it um outside of the the procedure getting done I had little cramping but I I couldn't say that I felt the device mm-hmm. and this last time um as weird as it may sound I felt like I could feel it I felt like I knew exactly, like, if I put my finger in, if I could push in far enough, I felt like I would be able to find it. In there. And that's what was so different. And, you know, I even saw an acupuncturist to try to get relief from the bleeding and the pain. And I told her, I said, I just feel like I can feel it. Like, I think I know exactly where, like, my cervix is now. Because I feel where they, like, put it in, you know, like, in my, and she goes, it's a foreign object in your body. You probably do feel it now because something's happened, you know? And like, that's what was different was like literally just sitting there. I felt like I could just, I could feel it. Like that's the only way I don't think I ever healed from it. I brushed on it in the first episode. I did get it removed before I even saw that gynecologist. Mm -hmm. But um, as soon as I had it removed, I was like, oh, I was still bleeding heavily and like having awful periods, but I was like, oh, I don't, I don't feel that anymore. Like it, it was different. And you know, like, that's why we have to listen to our bodies so much and we have to slow down sometimes to listen to our body. And And if you don't listen to those cues, your body is going to slow you down. Right. Your body, the minute you start feeling that this is not right this something feels weird something feels different that's your body's first like hey girl help me this isn't right because when I had that diagnostic laparoscopic procedure the day that night I couldn't get to sleep again I told you they blew me up I looked like the blueberry from Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory they told me to walk around to pass the gas and I said no Right, something's not right. And I kept saying, it doesn't feel right. It feels like my, my whole, all my organs felt like they weighed a hundred pounds. Like I couldn't yeah. go anywhere without holding my stomach. And I wasn't passing gas. I wasn't passing stool. I was taking stool softeners, like all of this stuff. And then one day I had, you know, I was kind of like leaning over and I said, no, it just, something feels so hard in my tummy. That was, that was the abscess. That was the right. all of infection in my body. And I knew, I knew it. My Mm -hmm. body knew something was wrong the day that that procedure, right? And many people, we talked about this episode one, when people, when women say, I knew the moment I got pregnant, because our, our bodies literally change instantly. Like there's not like this slow process. Like when something happens within us, we will know it. And which is, which is hard for some people, but we are 
a lot of the times, and I say this with a, bro a broad brushstroke, women rationalize pain. Women rationalize discomfort with something that we have done or we have not done. Does that make sense? Right? Like we say, this happened because I didn't do this, or I feel like this because I did this, not this is my body signaling something isn't right. And then we will continue to push on and we'll continue to do. And both for us, both you and I, that turning point was our body was going to give out. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the lifestyle or the traction or the course that we were on. We yeah. needed that moment to yeah. like pump the brakes and, right. and rediscover right. how to live in these bodies that were we, I mean, it, it, it was not just us. It was the doctors that were treating us. They allowed us to abuse our bodies and to not listen to them because right. we look to medical professionals for that advice. And so if we take anything away from today's episode, my nugget is you have to listen to your body and you cannot be afraid to challenge the medical professional sitting across from you because A, they work for you, right? They are technically your employee when you, you create that doctor-patient relationship. You do not work for them. Mm -hmm. They are there to help you live an optimally healthy life, right? Not a perfect healthy life because none of us are going to achieve that, but to live in your body optimally at the, the most way it can function at its best, right? Or optimal, right? And when, when they don't listen to you and they're not, and they don't offer you exams or they don't offer you diagnostic testing, or they don't let you know that they don't know the answer, or they're not going to help you find the person that can do that for you. They know no, they no longer get to work for you. You yeah. guys, they just don't, they're not, they're not serving their purpose for you anymore. Right. And um, sometimes people who seek out other medical advice can look at, be looked at as, as, doc, as doctor hoppers or hypochondriacs. And I have heard so many friends, the friend that I want to invite on our podcast, um, her name is Kimmy. I met her through an ostomy support group. She knows when her body has a bowel obstruction, right? She had an a colostomy because of um, a, a situation with diverticulitis and she has been discarded from from other doctors and then ended up hospitalized with an NG tube as they try to help her pass this obstruction. Like we know, right? We, yeah. we know. And we just need to listen. You know how we said we want to be listened and heard. I think a practice you and I are learning every day and we want our listeners to learn is to hear your body. Yeah. Right? Like it's our body use our, you know, we got to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be connected to your body to know, you know, and like, if I was to say anything, um, let's not be afraid to talk, mm -hmm. you know, like that was my saving grace was that conversation with Holly as she was doing dishes at work. Mm -hmm. And that opened up something. And I understand it's embarrassing. You don't want to talk about poop or bleeding and you don't like, it's a non-issue. I remember one person asking me like, what's going on with you? And I was tired. I was just tired at that point. So I just told them, I said, I've been bleeding for, I'm on 21 days of my period right now. And it's so heavy. And he's like, well, that's a lot of information. I was like, you asked me what was wrong. Yep. Like women have periods. Let's, why are we afraid to talk about it? Yep. You're either in love Guess with what? one. 
Right. You're either in love with a woman or you know a woman. You know a woman somewhere in your life. So this happens to most every 28 to 35 days. So let's, you know, like, why are you schemish? Oh, you saw the box of tampons in my car? Like, yeah, you know what? I have a box of tampons in my car. What's the big deal? Like, calm down. Like, let's not be embarrassed to share. Do you remember when you'd, like, be in high school and you would, like, go in your backpack and, like, take your tampon and then, like, shove it up your sleeve or your pad and you'd, like, walk to the bathroom and, like, no one could know that you had a tampon or... Oh, my God. People would know I was on my period. I used to use, like, I had this cloth sunglass case and I thought I was the smartest girl in school because I kept my tampons in the sunglass case and then, like, I don't know, people would just think, oh, she's going to the bathroom with her sunglasses. And I was like, hell yeah, I am. <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom, I need a pad. And I'd like tuck it in my, I'm like, it's wrapped up. It's not like I'm like, it's like stuck to my hand and I'm smacking people and giving high fives with it. But like, it's something I- mean, that'd I, be funny. <laughs> maybe that's what I need to do to break that stigma of my own, right? Yeah. But listen, this is- this was such a great conversation and, and thank you so much for sharing everything that you went through. And I feel honored that I got to share that thank those you. moments of diagnosis. And it, it was, it was long journeys for both of us. And I think one of the things that we're going to do in um, part two is to discuss the procedures that we went through, because I think if we could put people in touch with the procedures that we had, it might help them request those kind of procedures in the future before having to sit through 17 different doctor's appointments and not have that. Um, and, or it could give them a name of a procedure that they can research to see if it's something that fits what they need, right? Or we can tell them the experiences that we had so they can be prepared for all aspects because sometimes they do not prepare us <laughs> for all the different outcomes or scenarios. I'm a living proof of that. So that's what we're going to talk about in part two of this. In part three of this series, we're going to talk about how we're navigating life after it because both you and I have had such big turning points that our approach to life and how we're, we're, we're going forward in our journey has changed. Yeah. And I want to talk about that because that, again, is part of that turning point. After we know what's going on, how are we looking at life differently? How are we approaching things differently? So anything else you'd like to add before we sign off a little bit? No, I think that I just want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen. I know this is going to be this podcast. Hopefully this episode is going to be the longest. We're going to try to keep it a little bit more in, but we have parts of our stories we feel important enough we needed to share so that's why we're splitting it up into three parts and so I just want to like honor you for giving your time to listen to our story and you know we're here for you and we're here for each other and um thank you just thank you for listening Thank you so much. So I kind of already summarized that for you um, about you. Thanks for joining us this week and last week. Tune in next week for the procedures. That's going to be part two. Don't forget, after you listen to our podcast, if you could please go ahead and rate it and maybe give us a comment or two and share it with your friends. Our podcast is available on iTunes 
iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. You can find it on any of the other streaming apps that you use to listen to your podcast. We want to hear from you. We want you to join the conversation. So please email us with any questions, comments, feedback that you have for us. You can find us on our email at conversations with A and J, all one word, at gmail.com. And please follow us on our social media pages. We have a Facebook and an Instagram that are active right now. Again, all under conversations with A and J. You can leave us comments there. You can share our material and join the conversation, please. We know that other people have things to talk about with us. So thank you guys so much. Have a great week and we'll see you next week. Thank you.